Yo, what up? Welcome to the Wordplay Cafe podcast. My name is Tomas J. Stanton, and I am joined by my dope-ass co-host, Jen Gastelum. What up? Welcome. Thank you all for joining in. Um, so this is a very important day for us. This is the first podcast uh, that we are recording and uh, we're very excited about that. And uh, we think it's important to add a little context as to what is Wordplay Cafe and why do we have a podcast. So Wordplay Cafe started uh, here in downtown Mesa. And what it was is, uh, for those of you who may not know, I am a spoken word poet, I'm very proud of that. And we have a very beautiful spoken word community here in the uh, Mesa and Phoenix greater area. Uh, but we also have a lot of different uh, storytellers. We have different storytelling communities. We have MCs. We have musicians. We have all these folks that that do their thing uh, in one way or another around the uh, beautiful culture of storytelling. But what happens is is we tend to get very siloed and and very segregated in in our community. And we thought, what happens when you create a space for all of these folks to come together? and share their different aesthetics and their different styles and uh, and really create this cross-cultural experience. And so uh, we took a risk with Wordplay Cafe and uh, very proud to say that it did very well. And now we are extending the conversation because Wordplay Cafe is an actually, it's a monthly event that we host. It's an open mic uh, that happens right here in downtown Mesa at the Nile Cafe. And uh, the Wordplay Cafe podcast is a way for us to extend the conversation to invite uh, the guest from our local area and every once in a while when we're blessed enough to have somebody coming from uh, maybe somewhere else and talk about what it is that they do and so yeah so that's the wordplay cafe podcast Uh, so we want to give a shout out to our main squeeze our main sponsor the mesa art center Um, and a program that is a part of that is creative catalyst and that's where my homie Jen really gets down. She's the the founder and the brains and the and the strength behind Creative Catalyst. And so shout out to you, Jen, for that. Uh, stop it. Uh, so just to say a thing about Creative Catalyst, though, we're about three years old and we do all community-driven programming here at the Art Center, which is amazing to have such support from such a huge organization like this to empower the voices of the community to identify what's missing and to create programming that means something to them that they can lead and get behind in a real way. And Wordplay Cafe is just one of those programs that we do, and it is awesome. Yes, I very much the hardest working person that I know, Jen, and also my wife. I don't know. Women just get down, man. We, the future is female. This is true. I have two daughters, and they're both going to rule the world. I have a son, and I just tell him to give up. Just don't even worry about it. You know what I mean? Uh, anyways, uh, so we also want to give a shout out to one of our supporters, right? Um, and this is a, a, a newly opened downtown Mesa brewery. I don't know if I said that right. Brewery. It's a, it's a cidery, technically. Oh, word. So yeah. we're, we're going to learn a little bit today about uh, uh, what a cidery is. But uh, Cider Corpse, um, and I'm going to let Jen talk about that because she is intimately involved with this uh, cidery. And so, Jen, tell us a, a little bit about uh, Cider Corp. So, Cider Corp that I am intimately involved with is, <laughs> is 
It's um, just a business in downtown, and uh, my amazing husband, Augie Gastelum, works there and runs things in a large way. And uh, basically, it's a craft cidery, delicious beverages. Um, today, we're drinking the Camouflage, which is a Moscow Mule-flavored uh, cider. And really, it's just a wonderful community place that you can go and play games and drink cider and enjoy yourself. And you could take your kids there. Hashtag babies in bars. <clears throat> anyway, so uh, yeah, so that's a little bit about who we are, why we're here, and who is supporting this endeavor. Uh, now we're going to get into the guts of the podcast with our first guest, um, who is a very special individual um, because he is one of the founding members of Wordplay Cafe. He's our musical director. Um, he is a, an amazing musician. He's a storyteller. Uh, one of the, I think the the um, one of the emerging creatives in not only our local community but soon to uh i mean this dude travels the world he's going to puerto rico in a couple weeks to to get down out there and so uh yeah we're really honored to have him uh please say what's up to our guest mr samuel pena with the enya hey yo what's up everybody how you doing thank you for having me jen and tomas thanks for being here we appreciate that how you feeling feeling good yeah, how's that cider? It's tasty. Yeah, did you know that it that, that it's apples? I did. Did you? It's see, it, it's like it's definitely infused with like ginger and some other things. It's like very botanical, I guess oh, you could say. That's right. Right. So it's like it's like a fancy tea, but made from hard apples. It's pretty it's pretty crazy. I love that. So this is the beauty of what's happening right now is that we did a, a, a slight uh, rehearsal for this podcast and uh, none of us, well, Jen, of course, knew what cider was. Samuel and I, however, had very little knowledge. Just roll with me, Samuel. Roll with me. <laughs> we had very little knowledge, most, mostly me, about what the heck cider was. All I know is that it's delicious, and, but now I'm, I'm well informed. So, uh, yeah. So anyways, uh, moving forward. Uh, one of the things that I think that is very important and, and has been very uh, influential in my growth as an artist is when I get the opportunity to talk to people and learn kind of like their origin stories, where they came from, how they became who they are, um, what their inspirations are, their influences, things like that. And so uh, we're going to probably kick off every podcast in a very similar way um, with just where are you from? Where are you from? So I think what sets you claim the way the way that I would like to start that question answering it is just talking about my parents and the way that they met. Um, I think it's informed a lot of the way that, the how I view the world. Um, my mom was studying Spanish. She's um, a Danish descent, born in Mississippi, wanted to learn Spanish so that she could connect with a greater part of the world. Um, with her college class, went to Mexico to study for six months. Spanish, and when she was there, the the church that she was part of, her my father was also part of the same church, and was organized to take the American girls to church on Sunday. So there was seven girls in the in my dad's car. He's twenty six. He's you know he's really excited about this opportunity. That's a sweet gig, right? There. Right. But he said that he saw one in the car, um, and that was my mom. After two weeks, they actually got engaged. Um, and she called her mom, who was living in Utah at the time, and said that she was going to marry Cesar Armando Pena. And my grandma was not happy about that. 
Um, and so she said, fine then, I'm going to move to Mexico and I'm going to move in with Cesar Armando Pena. We're going to get married and we are going to move to Celaya, Jalisco, which is a small town outside of Guadalajara. So that's where I was born. Uh, lived there till I was about two years old and then moved to the United States. Um, and uh, my father at the time when moving to the States did not speak English um, still very well. So I grew up speaking English with my father as he was learning English. Um, when I was in trouble, that's when the Spanish came out from my father and my mother. My mother's a Spanish teacher. Um, so, so language is a, is a very important thing. Um, and having two languages in my home was very important in me looking at um, how, how important it is to have multiple ways of storytelling, I guess you could say, sharing your story in multiple languages. That's dope. That's really dope. Um, can I can I ask you this? Can you say your dad's name again? Cesar Armando Peña. Man. And my name is Samuel Cesar Peña. It's, yo, it's just so sexy, man. It's I mean, just... when I was a kid, people called him Caesar the Pleaser, like, <laughs> <laughs> which my mom did not like, right? Obviously. She says only I call him that. Right. But it, it was it was actually my, my soccer coach would call him. And it wasn't that he was like a pleaser with ladies. It was like he was a pleaser with... Um, just very charismatic. Like I haven't met somebody more charismatic than my father. Um, so yeah. So that's where you get it from. I don't know about that, but <laughs> you're, you're quite charming. You're quite charming. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. You're handsome too. Kind of look like me. Ayo, ayo. <laughs> they do say that you're attracted to somebody that looks like you, so it makes sense. But what's <laughs> interesting about my story, my origin story, is that my mom and dad don't look alike at all. Right. My mom's very blonde, as blonde as it gets. Blue eyes. My dad is is Mexican, dark hair, totally different complexions and just body types, everything. Um, so siblings. Do you have any? I have siblings. How many? Good question. I got three. <laughs> three. I do. I Older? do. So I'm the oldest of four. And we my mom and dad had five kids, four kids in five years. So that's pop, 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 pop. Dang. Yeah. That's a short time frame. So we grew up very connected, uh, very uh, in each other's spaces, sharing rooms. You know, we grew up very poor um, and didn't have like a lot of space. So I think that, yeah, just, yeah, just being close to people isn't, isn't a thing for me because I grew up so close to the family. We grew up on the west side of Phoenix. We moved to Phoenix when I was about five years old. I prayed to have the fourth kid uh, be a girl because I had two little brothers and I wanted the fourth to be a girl because I wanted a baby sister and I actually said a prayer I remember when my mom said she was pregnant and she actually had that my sister the girl on my, the day before my birthday so me and my sister are exactly five years apart that's crazy that's the day after Christmas is my birthday and hers is her middle name I'll see if you can figure this out her middle name is Natividad yeah I get that. That's um, nativity. That's where uh, little baby Jesus was born. That's right. My sister was born on that day. That's dope, man. That's cool. Are you guys super close? Yeah. Yeah, we're good. We're all very individual, um, very strong personalities, each of us in different ways, but can um, vibe well with each other. And yeah, I got a good support system there. Do you have like a favorite story um, that from your childhood, like something that like, went down with your siblings? Um, I learned a lesson, you know, you trying to fool people and it doesn't work out. 
Tell me about it. So it was uh, Christmas Eve, and uh, I was probably six or seven years old. Because I was the oldest, we still believed in Santa Claus. You can't ruin it for the young ones, right? So they really held on to it. I believed in Santa longer than the rest of my siblings. Because as soon as I found out, they, they, they're not going to, you know, I'm going to let them know. This is a lie, <laughs> right? <laughs> I got their backs, right? So, they, so, so I was into Ninja Turtles. They were into Ninja Turtles. I got this great idea about one o'clock in the morning on, uh, on before Christmas morning that Santa was gonna bring Ninja Turtles, right? And with four kids, that's a possibility of getting four Ninja Turtles in the morning if I fix the situation. So I actually went at one o'clock in the morning and uh, after Santa came, I literally believed in Santa Claus at the time, and I saw that there was four stockings and four Ninja Turtles, one at each stocking. And I moved them all to my stocking with a big <laughs> smile on my face and went back to bed. Done, right? How is my mom gonna know that Santa didn't put them all in mine, right? This is, this is real. Um, so I wake up in the morning, I was like, oh my goodness, I got four Ninja Turtles. And my mom's like, no, you didn't. How did that happen? She looks at my dad, right? He's like, I don't know. So she said, no, Santa didn't do it. And I said, yes, he did. How do you know? And then she moved three of them from my hands and gave them to my siblings. So. That's, that's a pretty dope story. So yeah, that, that happened. Story. And I was actually, you know, I was happy that by the end of it, I learned my lesson and we all had, we shared well, so it was good. I mean, that's super clever though, that you like, okay, well, Santa came, I'm pretty sure he brought four Ninja Turtles. They're all gonna be mine. No one's gonna know. My sister was like two, like, is she really gonna know that she doesn't have a Ninja Turtle? It's so smart. I don't know, that's what I was thinking. That is, that's pretty gangster. Yeah. Um, <laughs> talk, talk to us about, so how does music become a part of your, your, your life? Was your dad a musician? Um, when was music introduced to you as, a, as a young person? Yeah, or, or your mom. Sorry, my Yeah, bad. both of my parents are very musical. My mom was in, in band and she was in college band. She played the flute and uh, in marching band. And my father was a rock and roller in his words, through and through. And I was like, Papi, it's uh, through and through. And he's like, no, through and through. Cause he's like, for true, right? Yeah. So anyway, his accent, but it, <laughs> literally, I think he's saying true and true, but because he's for real. So he's a rock and roller, right? He had long hair down to his down to the middle of his back. He was in a band in Culiacán, Sinaloa, and they traveled around and they did cover band, cover music at weddings and at parties. Um, he was a guitar player that was responsible for listening to the vinyl records. He would sleep with his head next to a speaker and pick out all the parts and then teach it to the, to the other guitar player and bass player. Um, and so self-taught, right? Listening, playing by ear, and then they would play and sing in a language that they didn't know. It's pretty wow. interesting. Yeah. Um, so he had this affinity for rock and roll from Great Britain, like Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin, uh, the Beatles. The Beatles, yeah. So. Do you know how your dad was, was obtaining that music? Because this is what, I mean. So I still have, I have a record collection still, and, it, and um, I inherited it from my grandfather first. Or the, his went to my parents, and then my parents, that all came to me, and then it's kept on growing. But there's, it, the same way that I've discovered a lot of music is through vinyl records. Uh, so he, I have, like, for example, Michael Jackson's Thriller, um, Echo in Mexico. I have the, the Mexican versions of a lot of these hmm. Led Zeppelin and Beatles albums that he bought when he was um, much younger than I am now even. So, yeah, he was, he was getting this, in, this through, the, uh, through buying records. That's awesome. 
Was it like, do you remember, I don't know if you guys experienced this, but when you're a kid, I don't even remember what it was called, but there was like that that terrible subscription thing for CDs that completely ripped you off and you could like get 10 CDs and they'd send them in the mail. I remember that. Do you remember that? Yeah. Imagine if that was with records. It's like, go straight to Mexico, pick off your 10. No? Do you remember that? I don't know. Oh, you were very hood. I'm assuming that's why. Maybe. I don't know. I don't, you know, I mean, music wasn't really uh, a major part of, of my childhood, ironically. Really? You know, no, not really. I mean, it was there, but it wasn't like, uh, I remember my grandfather had a, an eight track player and he listened to a lot of Frank Sinatra and my mom listened to country music, which I just thought was whack. You know, I like, I mean, it's crazy now, ironically, not that I really listen to country music, not that there's something wrong with country music, but when I listen to it now, I'm like, oh, yo, you know, it's kind of cool. But when I was growing up, I was like, man, I hate country music. But yeah, no, I don't remember that subscription. You know what I find interesting about um, your, your story about your dad is, <clears throat> you know, I would have never guessed that a dude in in Mexico was like buying albums of the Beatles. That's mm-hmm. crazy to me. You know what I mean? Which is which is beautiful because I mean they always say music is like that universal language that you don't necessarily need to understand the words that you can just feel like the spirit of music. And mm-hmm. I, and I and I experience that a lot. I don't really understand Spanish that much. Um, but when I listen to Spanish music, it's like I don't need to understand the words to to feel it. You know, Mm -hmm. that's crazy. That's really, that's dope. So, I mean, kind of off of that, Augie's mom and dad, he's from Mexico too, Mm -hmm. my husband. And so um, his parents primarily speak Spanish. I don't speak Spanish. Um, They live in our guest house in our backyard. So I do talk with them regularly or communicate with them or attempt to. But one way that I'm able to connect with his mom is because Beatles were her jam growing up like he remembers all that stuff growing up and that's what she listened to and so and that's totally what I listen to like weekends we have Beatles Sundays all day long so we can connect on that level have our kitchen dance parties listening to the Beatles but yeah it's true that language like kind of becomes less necessary or less I guess yeah there's something of a about barrier I guess that maybe goes beyond words yeah in sharing stories uh, and which is why I love music today. Um, what happened was my dad wanted me to play rock and roll, and I wasn't really about it because I was all about hip hop and R and B. Power ninety two, Y ninety five. On, lived on the west side of Phoenix. <laughs> Those were my stations, and I would sleep next to on the, on the dresser. I would sleep by my boombox, and I would wait for that next track, whether it was Rump Shaker, and then after Rump Shaker. Then that one had to be Vanilla Ice, Ice Ice Baby, and then after Ice Ice Baby, then that one had to be SWV's Week. And then if they played Week before they played Ice Ice Baby, I had to wait all the way, sometimes the whole day, till I got the right one to be in the sequence that I wanted. So I would make mixtapes. Um, I didn't really know that there, was, there wasn't a music program for making hip-hop or R&B. Um, and in the church that I went to, there really wasn't much of a groove in the music. So that was all coming from, like sourcing out from friends, from the radio. Um, wasn't really trying to get into rock and roll with my dad. Definitely wasn't going to be in the band. Um, that would have been suicide on my block. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I really wish Shout I would have. to the to the West Side. But I really Phoenix. wish I would have now because I missed out on so much technical skills and music comprehension, and I could communicate so much better had I had those experiences. 
Um, which makes me think about programming that I do as a music educator is how can you get those skills to people that aren't, that are interested in different types of music. If you're not interested in a band, choir, orchestra, how can you still gain the skills that those students are gaining um, in other music, whether it be in music from Puerto Rico, from Brazil, hip hop, R&B, whether it be gospel music, like if that's your thing, how do you have a, um, a quality uh, learning environment to learn the, the music reading, to learn how to write, to learn understand the music theory and all behind it so that you can be better at what you want to do. Yeah, no, that's super important. And, and I'm going to touch on that a little bit later because I want to talk about your organization, uh, AZ Beat Lab, and the work that you're doing, which I think is just phenomenal. But I, I think because you have an interesting relationship with music and academia, right? Because you, you have your master's in education, in music, yep. but your undergraduate is in communications, Correct. I believe, right? Because when you, tell us a story about how when you went to ASU and you wanted to be a part of the music program, but they didn't really speak your language. So, and they thought I didn't speak their language and that they didn't have a place to cultivate what I was interested in, so I just was not included. Um, so I played, uh, Brazilian percussion. I met a, a guy from Sao Paulo, Brazil, and started learning percussion from him. I was a student. How old were you when that happened? Uh, that was probably around 20 years old. Okay. Um, I played acoustic guitar. I got dumped when I was 18, and my dad bought me a guitar because I just sat in my room and I wasn't doing anything. And it's actually really healing for me because I would just play this A minor chord over and over and over, which is just like um, like hip hop, it's like a loop over and over and over again. And what happens, my mom would be mad and be like, yo, will, will you take it somewhere? Play another chord. And I was like, mom, I'm going deeper into this chord, right? And it was this vibe that I was after, like this groove. So I just kept going into that, um, to, the, to the thing and then I bought a loop pedal. That loop pedal was it made it really easy for me to create something that I was capable of doing because I didn't have a teacher. And then I could just sit there for hours and add layers and layers and spend time listening and responding um, to the music. So I got really good at, he, at like, uh, I'm, I'm really good at playing with musicians and adding a voice into something that's happening because I'm listening really hard and I'm also thinking about what my strengths are and then adding in in, in really like hopefully, hopefully tasty ways. Um, and I gained that experience through this loop pedal. Were you, were you aware at the time um, that you were learning this concept of the loop, were you aware at the time that that was also something that was very prevalent in hip hop music? I actually wasn't. I don't think at the at the front end of it. I was into it for the same reason I was into hip hop, but I didn't identify it until later. Okay, cool. Um, and you can't audition to the school of music on loop pedal like performance. I also played the didgeridoo at the time. I was going to ask, and about I couldn't, that. and I couldn't. Um, uh, that circular breathing, right? I don't know, there's something about loops for me, circular breathing, right? So I, I thought that it was amazing. Um, but what you couldn't, you couldn't uh, audition with a didgeridoo. Um, Singer-songwriter style guitar, you couldn't do that. It had to be classical guitar from a specific canon that was like something that I had no experience or ability to do. So I knew that I could not apply to be a music student, even though I played music every single day. Um, and that, that actually made me feel like not a musician. I know, I know a lot of people that say I'm not a musician. Even though they're playing music every single day, there's like this, this word is reserved for those that like got into a specific style of music making. Um, 
So that, that was uh, what I decided to do instead was get a degree in communication. And I was very um, interested in identity and being bicultural um, and biracial, understanding this, this identity discrepancy that I had, that you're not Mexican enough, you're not white enough. Um, why, are, why are people of color treated this way? Um, why do we keep on separating from each other instead of celebrating our differences? Like, what's the, my parents did it. They're all about the, the celebrating the differences between them. Um, I saw it in a healthy way at home and was curious why the world couldn't do it. Um, so I got into communication to try to understand those things. And then there are these ethnomusicology ensembles that I was able to sign up for, which was the mariachi ensemble, African drumming, um, Javanese gamelan, which is like a gong band, um, which is pretty cool. <laughs> I mean, there's a bunch of bells and stuff from, from, from uh, yeah, Indonesia. Do, do you think that because you didn't have a, um, a paved, like, way into a music program? Um, because I look at your work as exactly what you're describing, very eclectic, um, very appreciative of, of, a, of a very diverse set of um, experiences and, and, and cultures in terms of music. Mm -hmm. Do you think that that's because you had this non-traditional approach to becoming this, what you call musician, that you didn't feel like you were? So I do identify as a musician now. Um, and I had some, some professors when I was getting my master's in music education, like literally shake me physically and say, you got to stop and saying that you're not a musician. You are a musician, you know? Um, and so I do identify as one now. And I think that what that means is that I started, I started value. I was able to value all these diverse musical approaches and styles once I said that. And until I was able to say it, I wasn't really able to value them internally because there was always this like hierarchy of what really a musician was. And so um, that was part of the journey. And, and so, yeah, um, in, I think the beautiful part of the journey is now that I can actually admit that I see those things differently now, the other musical styles in a higher light than I was able to before I, I personally identified as a musician. Dope. That's dope. How does, how does that influence your work because I want to talk a little bit about AZ Beat Lab. So AZ Beat Lab is this organization that you founded that I think is phenomenal. Um, and I'll let you talk about that. Um, but how how does your journey and your relationship with music um, influence how you work with young people? Um, so as we said earlier, that I think that music has a way of sharing a story beyond words. Um, there's a vibe in music that is present in all the music that I do. There's like a feeling that you can get. Um, and, and you know, people sometimes, and I like make a lot, I make a lot of instrumental music and it's like this soundtrack to your life uh, that you can, that it's in the background, you can really pay attention to it and it can inspire you to write. It can inspire you, uh, other people to say, hey, I wanna, I wanna sing a hook on that or, right? So there's this like way that instrumentals leave space for other people to collaborate. But also, you can ignore instrumentals, and, and it's in all of our media, um, like these soundtracks to movies. There's like this, when you start, whenever I cry when I'm watching a movie, it's because something sad happens. Hold on, hold on, what? You cry when Absolutely. you watch movies? Absolutely. <laughs> all right, I just want to make sure that you understand that that's okay. Yeah, that's great. Okay, cool. So what happens is it's like this sad thing happens or, or relates to my life, or, or I'm like, gosh, I'm like heartbroken about it, but I'm not going to cry until that, that chord comes in. 
that musical vibe that the the soundtrack producer puts in there and then bam and then it's like a perfect storm to uh unlock those emotions so there's something that that music has to get at storytelling so that's something that i've been interested in um and i find very powerful so another interesting thing about music is that you can listen and talk at the same time so we talk about sharing stories with people and you're not supposed to talk at the same time you know you wait for each other and you don't want to react to what they're saying you want to respond thoughtfully that's good communication with words but with music you're when you're playing with a live musician at the same time especially in improv settings you are speaking and listening at the same time to do it well which is really interesting like you have to you have to listen and talk at the same time i can't even imagine that's like i mean i know people who can't chew and walk at the same i mean like that's stereotypical but you know what i mean like it's like this whole idea of doing multiple things at once that require that much focus and energy that's yeah so there's been this like journey as a musician for me of like being self-aware but also aware of other people at the same time and like each time that i jam with people i'm practicing that awareness of myself and others at the same time and how can we how are we collaborating well how are we vibing well um how are we inspiring making space for the other person to be heard um realizing that i'm not more important um in a, in a good jam nobody is leading um in sometimes somebody will try to take up too much space and just like so many notes and just like stomp over everybody and you can think of that as like analogy to like um maybe a teacher that's teaching to and like speaking knowledge that they have to their students instead of like sharing space and knowledge discovery and giving like yeah there might this kid in the class might have some knowledge that I don't have as an adult um so when I go in and teach AZ Beat Lab I'm not thinking that I have all the knowledge of music or groove or hip hop or beat making even if this is their first time doing it their brain or their life experience could teach me something and I want to remain open to learning from them um so I use the term knowledgeable others and I let my students know that there are knowledgeable others in the room and it might not be me all the time it might be you and it might be her now and now it might be him and that so being flexible enough for that shared power i guess shared knowledge to go in the classroom um i think i also learned that and practiced it through jamming through good jams i guess that's dope um so just because obviously i know um what az beat lab is but like talk about what you do with az beat lab like how do you engage with students in music production what type of technology do you use yeah great so uh because of my my um uh, my personal experience with uh afro-brazilian the afro-brazilian music that i studied um rumba from from cuba bomba from puerto rico um i saw similar similarities between those music practices and the hip-hop culture in the united states like a cypher the circle um there's definitely syncopated heavy like heavy grooves um then there are there's freestyling there's like these different support parts so just like something real simple that people could do or that's happening and then something more complicated like a you create your rap your beat might not be that complicated but then the intricacies in in the freestyle over it um so i noticed the similarities between those and so what i did when i started az beat lab was looking at at this um the relationship between contemporary modern you know like 
culture of beat making, hip hop, and how it's related to other um, things that we find throughout the African diaspora. Um, so that being said, learning or, or continually um, digging, the, and these cultures that are happening, they're not like dead cultures, they're, con they're living cultures and traditions that are happening now. And people that I'm like, for example, going to Puerto Rico, there's, there's a hip hop festival mixed with bomba. So there's living tradition that came from the slave ships where they took the barrels and turned them into bariles uh, or to, for, to play bomba from the slave ships. They still use those, so they're keeping that long history um, rhythms that were from the people on the African continent, now mixing them in um, with New Yorkans, um, Puerto Ricans from New York coming down from, from Rocksteady Crew to do hip hop and bomba together. So there's this, they're listening to United States culture. So another thing that I, I, I try to, to instill in, in or to invite my students to think about is how are we listening to other parts of the world that are related to us? Um, because sometimes what I've found with kids that like hip hop is they think when they talk about history, they go as far back as maybe the Bronx. Um, and a lot of them often just say like hip hop is trap from 2013 since I discovered it. And so they're not really looking how things are connected. Um, and I've seen from my friends and, and people that I'm looking to um, in South America, they're looking continually to our culture and incorporating it in theirs. So how can we join that conversation is something that AZB Live is trying to do um, by bringing in drums, um, by doing uh, vocal percussion, beatboxing, um, studying some of those rhythms, and then applying them on iPads, on computers, using the software Ableton Live, or uh, there's some stuff online. Some, one's called bandlab.com. That's a free garage band. The, I really like using that one because students can make their work on it and then on an account, it lives in the cloud. And a lot of the schools that I go to, kids don't have computers at home. Um, they definitely don't have MacBooks and Ableton Live, which costs $800 for the software. But they can go to the library or to their grandma's house, and they can log in using the internet. They can log into BandLab, have access to their song. I, I love all of that, but I couldn't help but to... to recognize that you said go to their grandma's house like they don't have internet at their house but grandma got it <laughs> you know what i mean like that's crazy that's dope because like when i was coming up my grandma definitely did not have the internet anyways i digress so so my my, my grandma who didn't graduate third grade who lives in culiacan mexico does she have internet she absolutely her sons bought her internet is she on the gram is Graham on the gram <laughs> I definitely don't think so, man. No? No, Facebook. No Facebook? No. no. My grandma's on Facebook. She doesn't know how to use that shit, but she's on it. It's so annoying because she's like, Tommy, can you help me? This is how my grandma talks. I love her. Shout out to my grandma. Can you help me look at the pictures? <laughs> the pictures. I'm like, Grandma, I ain't got time for this shit. Take I'm just kidding. That's not how I talk to my grandma. better story about grandmas on Facebook. My grandma started using Facebook and would think that when she wrote something as her status, she was actually talking directly to people. So she'd say, mm. hey, Jenny, I hope you had a good day or happy birthday. And then she'd try and write love grandma. But Facebook would automatically tag it. And she'd always say love tagged Grandmaster Flash. She tagged Grandmaster Flash in her Facebook posts that she thought she was directly talking to people for 
like a good couple of years. That was amazing. It was my favorite thing ever. I took several screenshots. Did Grandmaster Flash ever reach out? No, he, he did not. That's kind of rude. Like I would, I would, I would think that maybe after like the fifteenth time, like he would look into it and be like, "Yo, this is actually a really cool story," and that'd be cool if like your grandma and Grandmaster Flash were like kicking it right now. I mean, Grandmaster Flash would be lucky. Anyway, bringing it back. <laughs> um, that's a fantastic story. I love it so much, and I love that you're like doing work to bring all of the cultures and all of the history and everything together and teaching this but also giving them opportunity these kids opportunity to explore their musical right. talents and musical loves in these ways that it sounds like you didn't really have the opportunity correct to, right yeah you caught that i didn't say that but exactly yeah and so it's like this whole other level of like recognizing this as music you as them as musicians you yeah. as a musician right and 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 they are creating music they're not just learning other they're learning from musics and then they are there's all every single time they're creating their own music in collaborative ways sometimes sometimes by themselves and then they get a chance to share what they did um, which every single time my favorite part of teaching is to smile on the kids face when they play this beat that they made if it's bad or good they love it and people start dancing like oh my gosh I can't believe you just made that and that that I think stays with them that feeling um, from being able to create something, be seen, and celebrated by their peers. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. That, yeah, that's awesome. And I think, like, to tie it into other experiences that I've had with you, um, we had Samuel come and teach a drum drumming class, right? Sambo it was drumming workshop. Percussion, yeah. Yeah. Brought in all sorts of different types of percussion instruments, and we had probably 20-plus people show up and just out on a terrace, he taught us how to make music together. And hands down, that was like the most well-received workshop like that that we've ever done. And we've done numbers of workshops, painting and ceramics and all sorts of things. And that's always the one that people bring up as the one that they felt was the most impactful. And I think it's because it's like you're creating something together. Mm -hmm. And that's not necessarily always the case in a lot of other art forms. Art can often be very solitary. You're creating something by yourself. Even if you're sitting next to somebody else that's doing the same thing, you're still doing it kind of solo. But when you're doing something like that, like it's definitely you're responding to other people, you're watching what other people are doing, and it's a whole other experience. Yeah, and you're responsible to hold your part and like lock in. And if the group's tempo starts shifting, and if you don't shift, then it, it falls apart. So there's this constant, like that's a, you guys all experience what I was talking about is you're, you're having to focus on yourself, but not too much because you can't forget about everybody else. Yeah, I struggled. You had to come and like personally coach me multiple times, but it was still amazing. I also do not claim to have any musical talent whatsoever. So there's that. You gotta stop saying that. <laughs> you, you have talent. I don't, I don't know if you can play any instruments, but you definitely have the ear for music. I mean, your Spotify playlist is always the one that we ask to be played in the office. So, I mean, you definitely have an ear for music. I think what, what I really love about this, and I mean, it's interesting, is that this interconnectedness of listening and playing together and like grooving out together. Yeah. It's like, it's amazing because it's just, it's just like slightly cliche, you know, metaphor of like, what what the world would be if we actually like existed as humans in that way mm -hmm. where we actually like paid attention we listened to people we groove together because i feel like there's such a disconnected feeling 
uh, in the world that we live in, right? And um, if we can all just come together in, in like a drum circle and just like, it don't matter your politics or, or your alliances, you know, you gotta learn how to groove with each other or else it's just gonna be one funky ass beat. <laughs> and I don't mean funky as in good, I mean funky as in Bubba's tube socks. Ooh. Um. So, so let, me ask you, let me ask you a question, because I think this is important as well. Um, what are some of your influences, right? Like who influences you? Um, what are you listening to? Um, are there books that inspire you? What, what kind of puts gas in your tank? Hmm, it's a great question. Thanks. I thought about it for a long time. <laughs> well, I, I mentioned the living traditions from Puerto Rico, from Brazil, um, from Cuba. I went to Cuba for 17 days to study um, with the ballet folkloric organizations. And um, so there's, uh, there's, a, there's a camp in Northern California called California Brazil Camp. I've been to that. And many times and there's so there's this information that that so there's there's you call them maybe a master teacher seeking those people out to to learn information from but it, and then also sharing and from my students they're also inspiring me because I, I think like you know I don't know what I'm doing sometimes I'll have that thought um, and then somebody will say like I like I learned this 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 and this in your class and then it triggers like, oh yeah, like I learned that like 10 years ago and there's so much more after that. I had that, you know, so it's, I'm learning from, from, from people in the, in the, these practices, but also from teaching. There's a lot of inspiration from that because I'm also listening to my students. If I wasn't listening, then I wouldn't see those, those moments of inspiration. Um, instrumental beat makers, um, I'm actually wearing a Dilla Donut shirt. Um, Jay Dill is a big, I'm a big fan of, of his instrumental beats and, and I've dug through as many people have the library that he sampled from. And it is incredible how vast the sound sources that he used to sample, um, into his thing. And every, every one of his beats, you could be like, yo, that's a Dilla beat. But like, if you listen to the song that he sampled, none of them sound the same. So there was just like, he was able to grab inspiration from such a wide, variety of music and then put it into his voice like as his voice as his style the story he wanted to tell incorporating it so yeah i guess sampling um and giving credit to where you're sampling is something i learned from hip-hop and a lot of hip-hop doesn't give credit to where they did They're like oh i'm not gonna tell you where the sample came from because then then i'm not gonna have anything um and i try not to live like uh in that scarcity mindset like there's a there's it's i think i gain more if i share where i got it from there's so much more um, that people share when you're open than if you're closing. I think you get people closing you off. Yeah, I mean, you get out of get out of life what you put into it. Sometimes I think mm. you know that's so, and it's hard. You know, self preservation is real, and uh, you know sometimes we like want to hoard all of our information and our and our knowledge because we feel. And like, that's what you, yeah, and you get yeah, you get blocked when you, you block. Yeah, you get blocked when you block. Yeah. I love it. Um, I, I do want to say another thing for collab, uh, for for inspiration is is constantly seeking collaborations. Um, and I've done a lot in the last couple of years. A lot of um, I've been hired to score for dance choreographers, and what they do is they dance and they they get their uh, 
Keep going. They get their, uh, they send me a video of their dance and I put it into my program, Ableton Live, and I watch the video and I'm responding and I score. I make a song that matches what I'm seeing. So I'm like watching what they're doing, adding to it, and then um, sending it back to them. Um, and then we go back and forth with this video. Then I'll go to their rehearsal and watch them do it. Um, like even, like when a dancer kicks their leg up, that's when I'll put like a psh. Um, oh, that's cool. So then when they're dancing, they're doing their move that they had, and all of a sudden the sound's like responding to them. So it's a really cool way of working um, with modern technology. All right, I'm gonna ask you, building off the inspiration thing just a little bit, um, listening to slash reading but like something that people can like pull up because like the other day you just shared with me that kid koala and i've been listening to that like pretty committed that specific album that you shared with me so what are things that you're listening to or reading that other people could go and look up if they're interested? Uh, there's a book um that i'm reading right now um by bell hooks called all about love um i read that it's dope and uh yeah that's uh that feels good Every time I read it, I haven't finished it yet, but um, it's giving us a clear, it's offering a definition for what love is. And when, when we don't know what love is, how are we going to get it um, when it's mystified? So demystifying it doesn't mean that that definition can't change and we can't grow, but it allows us to have something like a common understanding of what, we're, what our aim is. It, it also talks about love as not being looked at as just a noun, but also a verb. Right. That's what I, re- I, you know what I mean? That book, I read it, gosh, it's been at least eight years, but that was major for me when it's like you, you look at love as this like feeling or you put it in a person, but you don't realize that, you know, it's also not about what um, somebody or how someone makes you feel, but like what you can do for that person or what that person does for you. So yeah, shout out to Bell Hooks and uh, it's called All About Love. Mm-hmm. All right. Dope. Cool. All right, sorry, I just had to say that. Uh, all right, so what's your favorite ice cream? Ayo. Vanilla. What? And every one of my friends, every time I say that, they're like, come on, bro. I know, I'm feeling very disappointed right but now. But let me tell you, like, it's so good. <laughs> like, it okay, literally, if it, it's, it's subtle, vanilla? it's subtle, right? And I like subtle flavors because you have to pay attention more. Like, I could blast my mouth with, like, a... A rainbow sherbet, you know, and like, but like, but like, if I get high quality vanilla beans, I'm saying like, right, and I and like get like high quality creamy vanilla, and then it's like not that much at, up front, but you just pay attention to it, and then you realize the depth of it. I wow. think it's better than like taking a spoonful of sugar in your you mouth. You just made ice cream like a whole thing. I'm just saying. Vanilla ice cream taken to the next. Level. I don't like vanilla because it's boring. I like vanilla because it's not boring oh. if you pay attention to vanilla ice cream i've never that right what you just said right now blew my mind like i i've been listening to everything that you you've said um but i was so tuned in because i've never heard anybody speak about ice cream in in that in that way well i mean just in general (laughs) like he was like i could blast my mouth with some (laughs) rainbow (laughs) sherbet i was like man this dude is a poet um, do you have a favorite movie? Ooh, it's good. It's good. I, I like, it's interesting because I'm reading a book called All About Love, but my favorite genre of movie is dystopian films. Oh, me too. And it's, it's weird because, um, 
and people in my life ask again, like that those dystopian films could be, for example, the the series called Black Mirror or Equilibrium was a film in 1998. Um, and 1984, for example, and all the offshoots of those. The reason that they're saying the problem is that we could, you could be, we as a society could be creating those things by the stories that we're telling now. Um, so I read a book called All About Love because I'm not trying to look at problems right now in a book. I'm trying to look at solutions. I'm trying to look at options, ways of thinking about how we can have love in the future. But then I'm like super into this dystopian like imagery. Um, so that's something I probably have to, to reflect on and figure out why. I do love, I can say that I've thought, so I've thought about it, and I do love seeing the resilience in those key players that are fighting like the, from the resistance in those, in those the, that are for the cause or whatever, instead of the, the, I'm watching this one called 3% right now on Netflix, and the proceso, that's like the process, that's like the, the way that everything can be perfect for like 3% people, mm-hmm. 97% get less so anyway the people for the cause are those uh, fighting for the masses and just that that fight that inner fight i think is why what i'm drawn to about dystopian um because it's such a stark contrast you see it you don't have a favorite though you're not gonna you're very political in your responses you're not gonna like commit to one thing there's commitment issues that's not (laughs) that's not politicalism that's just that i just have a lot of favorite films or whatever and if i say one then i'm like well what about that one and what about that one was a good one so there's different reasons why. So favorites also thing like I try not to do absolutes like always or never or favorite. Wait, wait, wait. I want to real quick bring it back to something Besides you said. Vanilla. You said earlier. Ice cream. You talked about <laughs> That's been a long standing favorite ice cream of mine. You've never wavered <laughs> from the vanilla. So you were talking earlier about your love of uh, movie soundtracks and how powerful they can be. Mm. And I can totally relate to that because my okay. favorite often my favorite movies are completely tied to the, the soundtrack. Mm. And so I kind of expected something from you as far as like a movie that hits you, not just like the story, but also that the soundtrack was like super powerful. So I have something for listeners if they wanted to check it out. Jay Electronica has a, I think it's called The Pledge, a, and it's a 15-minute uh, mixtape that he made where he's rapping with no beats, um, Jay Electronica um, had a child with Erica Badu in the last, I think, six years. Um, and he, so this this thing, if you look up Eternal Sunshine on the Spotless Mind, Jay Electronica, he raps over that soundtrack and there's no beat and it's so good. Um, and he talk, he's even clear about that there's no beat. Um, he just takes a loop and uh, uh, a section of the soundtrack and looped it. It's so good though. That sounds amazing. Um, that's definitely one of my favorite movies. Yeah, that, that's a vibe. That soundtrack is a vibe. Mm-hmm. And you, you, it can change the way you feel just with mm-hmm. that. And then he's, I don't know, it was cool that he flipped it and, and put it over some lyrics over it. Mm-hmm. So you, you make beats, uh, you work with young people, uh, you travel the world, uh, you're an educator. Uh, do you have bars though? Would you mm. consider yourself an MC? Mm. So I like being honest um, because I then I can grow, that. right? So I'm a terrible MC. Why do you say terrible? Terrible as in currently, if I were to be in a freestyle battle, I would choke out of fear. Even if I try to say stuff, it's something that I really want and I would like to do, but I haven't put in the effort to do to get there. Just wanting to be an MC and just get it is like what I've been waiting for for like 15 years. Um, and so that's real, that 
If I really, and I know now that if I want it, then I got to put in the work and I haven't put in the work. If I wake up every day and wrote, then I'm going to grow. But when's the last time I did that? I don't know. When was the last time you did that? I can't even remember. You know, it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to get in shape, right? People say that all the time. And then they just end up watching Ty Bo, you know, and then they don't do it. They just watch it. I don't, right? I don't know. <laughs> I just play it. I don't. I mean, that's hilarious when you think about that. Like, I watched Ty Bo today. I just watched Ty Bo. <laughs> nah, I was just watching. I'm feeling it. good. It's like baby steps. Billy you know, Blanks. I just watched <laughs> Billy Blanks. I watched my my uh, my yoga glow account. I watched some yoga class, but I didn't do it. So anyway, that's that. <laughs> that's important, right? It, you got to you know, do it. So you got to have saying, the discipline. From being honest, it's the the my MC ism, my my MC ness, my MC skills are are where they are because I haven't put the time in and had the discipline to develop the craft. And I think that's a, a very important thing to, to put out there. I, you know, um, you have to put the time in, you have to work. A lot of, you know, a lot of times uh, when we talk about artists, um, we recognize their talent, and but we don't necessarily always recognize because we can't see all the work and the hours and hours um, that they put into their craft. But like, these are skills. Like writing is a skill, um, music production is a skill. Sure, you can have your talent and your swag and, and you know what you mm -hmm. bring to the table mm -hmm. is uniquely you. But one thing that you know, I, I always say is like you gotta get up, writers write every day. Some of the best advice I ever got about writing was, um, was from a professor, uh, Ricker B. Hines, and uh, he said uh, he doesn't believe in writer's block because writers write. That doesn't mean everything that he's writing is good or feels good or that he's going to use it, but he makes and carves out time every day to write. And so I, I say that and I ask that question only because I know your aspirations. And I think that if you can put the time into being an MC in the same way that you have as, as being the musician that you are, then the world uh, better be ready for, I think, one of the dopest artists out there. I appreciate that. Even if you're talking about somebody else, I'll take that just for motivation. <laughs> I'm talking about you. No, so I'm just playing. But I want to say that you did bring up this. Another favorite book of mine is by an uh, author by the name of Stephen Pressfield, and it is called The War of Art. And if you Google The War of Art PDF, you can get a free version. Um, but that book talks about our inner resistance in doing the work. And the, like, you, like Ricker B said, the only, like, there's no writer's block because writers write. So every day you get up and you, you write. Um, and he, it's really cool because he personifies this resistance that we feel as artists in like 95 different ways. So one of those 95 or 80 of them are going to, you're going to, when you read it, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, that got me. That got me. So that book is very inspiring um, to get up off your ass and do the work. All right. So wrapping it up. Where can we find you on the World Wide Web on social media? AZ Beat Lab on Instagram. Um, Samuelitos is another handle. Um, and Facebook. Currently. AZ Beat Lab on Facebook too? Yeah. All right. Dope, man. Well, thank you. Thanks for stopping Thanks by. Thanks for having me. Appreciate, Appreciate you, it, man. Uh, Samuel is an amazing individual. Like I said, one of the founders of wordplay and uh, our musical director he actually uh that beautiful intro music that you hear 
at the beginning of the podcast, he produced that. So shout out to you for doing that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Thank you. Safe travels. I know you're heading to Puerto Rico and then to Canada. uh, So you'll be gone most of the summer. So uh, shout out and appreciate it. Appreciate you, man. All right. Till we meet again. Cool. Peace. Peace. Thank you for joining us at Wordplay Cafe, the podcast. You can find us on the World Wide Web at Creative Catalyst AZ on both Instagram and on Facebook. And you can see what's happening next on MesaArtsCenter.com forward slash Wordplay Cafe. You can follow me, Tomas J. Stanton, at Bird City Poet on Instagram and Facebook. You can find me on Instagram at Sleepless and AZ. And lastly, thank you to the Mesa Art Center and Cider Core. Peace.